Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Good morning, good morning, everybody. What an exciting day to be in the Lord's house. We welcome you here, visitors and friends and family that are here to celebrate. We welcome you with big smiles and and open arms. Uh, If you have a Bible and you'd like to go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, we'll begin in chapter 28 of the Gospel of Matthew uh, in just a moment. But today is such a special day as we pause uh, from our series in the book of Proverbs, studying God's wisdom, and we seek to celebrate and to worship Jesus through baptism. So we want to be clear as we begin this morning that baptism, nothing in Scripture ever says that baptism adds to salvation, but rather it celebrates it. And so the big idea that we want to see this today as we move through Scripture is, is simply this. Baptism testifies outwardly to what Christ has done inwardly. So each individual here today has, is being baptized, and, and they have a personal testimony. They have a testimony of how they came to an understanding of the gospel. And when they responded to the gospel in faith, faith that Jesus died on the cross for their sin, his body was buried, and on the third day it was raised from the dead. That's your testimony. And so I want you to think for just a second as we begin today that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all give us little glimpses of the testimonies of coming to faith that some of the closest followers of Jesus had. Because on the third day, they were very sad. But the Bible tells us that John and Peter ran to the tomb. And John tells us that he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. He saw the the handkerchief that was once around Jesus' head folded neatly. And in that moment, he believed. What he realized is the grave had not been stolen, but rather the Christ was risen from the dead. But Mary stood outside the tomb. This is where her testimony is. She stood outside the tomb talking to a man. And eventually she realized the very man I'm talking to is the risen Lord. And in that moment, she placed her faith in a risen Jesus Well, most of us know that many of the other disciples experienced their testimony of coming to faith in the upper room whenever Jesus appeared to them. The door was shut. They were scared. They were afraid. And then Jesus appeared. And when they first saw him, they even struggled to believe. And and, and so he looked for some food, and he found some honeycomb and some broiled fish, and he began to eat it. And then they were convinced, this isn't a ghost. It's the risen Lord. And that's when their faith became sure. And then we know about those two guys that walked for seven miles on the road to Emmaus, having no idea that the very man they walked with was the risen Lord. And when they sat down that evening to break bread, it clicked. That's him. And then their faith was placed in a risen Jesus. But perhaps the most famous testimony of all in the Bible is that of Thomas. Can you imagine being Thomas? For eight days, you're having to listen to all your buddies tell you, he's alive, we've seen him, this changes everything. Unless I see the nail prints in his hand, the scar in his side, I'll not believe. Eight days, that had to have been pretty miserable for Thomas. Until guess who showed up? And, and, And Jesus looks at Thomas and says, Thomas, 
Reach here with your finger and behold my hands. Reach here with your hand and thrust it into my side where they had pierced him. And Jesus said, be not faithless, but believing. And in that moment, Thomas had faith. He looked into the eyes of his Savior, risen from the dead, and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus then said this to Thomas, and he said this to all of us. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are the 12 of you. Blessed are every one of you. All of those who have not seen and yet have believed, have come to an understanding of the gospel and placed their faith in a resurrected Savior. So I want the 12 of you today to know that each of you have a personal testimony. It's personal and it's special. Some of you trusted Jesus this summer at VBS. Some of you back there in a Sunday school room with your mom and dad. One of you at a vacation Bible school um, led by another church. Two of you up in the balcony, two hours, one Sunday afternoon after service. Another right here in a pew and others many years ago as teenagers. And then a couple of you trusted Jesus in the living room of your home late at night. One of you with your daddy kneeled down by your side and another one of you with your husband Standing, sitting by your side, holding your hand. The point is this. If you need to wrestle with the scriptures, you wrestle with the scriptures as a church. We don't want people to be pressured into an emotional decision. We want to give them every good reason to see the word of God come alive in their life. And let the spirit of God move them into a decision of faith in the gospel. And so what's so important is this. All of you have different stories. But you trusted in the same gospel message. Some of you are going to grow up and maybe you're going to hear other people's stories and you're going to think, man, mine's not that cool. You know, you hear those stories sometimes about a guy who, who left his house and run like five miles down the road to get to church and then got to church and went to the altar. Those stories are awesome. But I, hear me now. You don't ever have to compare your story in such a way that it feels like a letdown to you. Your story of coming to faith in the gospel is special and it's personal between you and Jesus. And what's most important is not how you came to the gospel, but rather who your faith is in because of the gospel. And his name is Jesus. So I would like for you to please stand with me looking at Matthew chapter 28 in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. The Bible says this in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, the resurrected Jesus came and spoke to them saying this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, when we read those words, we don't believe that a dead man spoke them, but a living man, a man that's your son and the one whom you raised from the dead. And they're words of power and they're words of life and they're life giving to the church. So we ask today 
that you would just help us as your people to soak in your words and to be encouraged and challenged, especially those who have trusted the gospel in this new journey of faith. Help us as a church to equip them for the greater purpose you have for their lives. Bless the moms and the dads and the families and the friends that are all here to celebrate. And Lord, we pray that gospel seeds would be planted and watered in the lives of children and other people today that perhaps have never understood or trusted the gospel. May your spirit have the freedom here to draw all people to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as, as we begin this morning and we just look at what the scriptures teach us about baptism. Why do we do baptism and why is it so special? Why is it such a big deal? Well, the first thing I would like for you to think about is how baptism is connected to a new identity, a new identity in Jesus. When you think about the word identity, an identity is simply how we see ourselves, right? It's, we typically find our identity in things that we like or things that we're really good at. And so if you're good at sports and, and you love sports, you might wear a jersey that represents your, your favorite player. But uh, if, you're, if you're doing well in school or education or you have a hobby or something that you're good at, you're tempted to find your identity in that and, and to just kind of say, this is who I am, this is what I do. And then when you grow up and you get a career, you become a parent or you become a husband or a wife or a parent or a grandparent, we, we find our identity in who we are. And some of you carry around a coffee mug that says uh, granddad or, or grandma. And those are all wonderful things. But here's the problem. If, that, if those identities become our ultimate identity in life, we miss something really special. And baptism reminds us and points us to that today. See, all of those things can change, can't they, in life? All of those things that I just named has the potential to have time, moments of success. Where, man, you're just doing great. This is who I am. I won. I'm a champion. I did this. But they also have times of failure. It's, it's easy to get home at night sometimes and you had a bad day at work, you had a bad day at school, you, you didn't do well in your game or whatever, and to just view yourself as a failure. You look at someone else's family and things are going well for them but not for you, and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and hold your head down. But one of the beautiful things about baptism is, is it's meant to remind us that upon trusting in the gospel— that you now have a new identity, and his love for you never changes. His love for you never fails. No matter what comes at you in this life, no matter on your best day or your worst day, his love for you stands forever. It's a love that never fades away. And Jesus wants our identity in him to supersede the things that we try to find identity in, in everything in, in life. So when you look back at this latter part of Matthew 28. I want you to think of this. Jesus commissioned his disciples. He told, them, um, he told them in verse 18, he said, go and make disciples. In other words, wherever you go and whatever you do and whatever ethnic group you come in contact with, I want you to now do with them what I have done with you for the last three and a half years. Equip them with my purposes. Share the gospel, but don't stop there. And then he, then he said this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. So let's think, in Acts chapter 2, you remember Peter, he's preaching and more than 3,000 people trust in the gospel. Some of those people who actually trust the gospel participated in, in Jesus' crucifixion. 
And, and so after they trust the gospel, he does just what Jesus said. He said, every one of you, now you need to get baptized. Some of you publicly crucified him, now publicly identify your life with him as the one who's crucified, risen from the dead, and he's now your savior. But Acts chapter 2 goes on to say that then after the baptism, they began to meet in one another's homes. And they began to study the apostles' doctrine. Well, these guys have only been apostles for like 40 days, 40 or 50 days at this time. So what were they studying? It had to have been the teachings of Jesus. It had to have been the very thing that Jesus just said to do in Matthew 28. And just imagine sitting there with those guys and those women. And they're studying and they're talking and they're trying to help these new converts understand this is now who you are. This is now who you are because of what Christ has done, and you took him at his word. This is your new identity. And so this is, this is new, and this is exciting in life. And so we could pretty, put it pretty simple like this and just simply say baptism is an identification with Jesus. When we go back to the most famous baptizer of them all in John chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 3, we know a man called what? John the... Baptist. John's identity was known because of his passion and his love and zeal for the Lord. He was baptizing everybody. He was the voice of one crying out from the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. In other words, everybody get ready. God's promised Messiah is coming. So let's, let's just imagine if you were there. Here's, here's a man wearing camel hair for clothes. He's got a big scraggly beard. It's probably got some honey stuck in it because he ate honey and he has wild locusts in his back pocket. I mean, probably not the most appealing man ever, right? But God was reaching people through him. And when they were, when they were coming into the water, they weren't identifying themselves with John. They were identifying themselves with John's message. And, he was, and so as they came, they came in, they were simply saying this, I'm a sinner and I'm coming in to repent. When John the Baptist brings them under the water and raises them up, they go out of the water, water saying, I'm a new person, and I'm looking and expecting the Savior. So they're walking with this anticipation that Jesus is coming. So now imagine what it must have been like that day whenever a huge crowd of people are standing on the banks of the Jordan River. John's baptizing as usual, but he says something he's never said. He looks and he sees the spirit in the form of a dove ascending and descending over the top of a man. Everything changed in that moment. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's eyes would have turned. So now you think, Jesus comes into the water to identify himself with what John just said. Jesus comes in. Not to identify himself as a sinner, but the Savior. Jesus comes in knowing that people are repenting of their sin and he's the very lamb who will take their sins away. And so he identifies himself and the Father speaks out from heaven. That man is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God recognized the identity of his son. We want you to know today 
that regardless of what this world ever throws at you, because of your decision to trust the gospel, nothing can take away this new identity you have in Christ. Believe that and live that. Because there was a church in Rome that lost sight of that. When the Apostle Paul found out what was happening in the church, of, in the church at Rome, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write uh, these words in Romans chapter 6. He found out that people were saying in the church, well, hey, if I'm saved, if I'm forgiven, if I'm not going to hell, if I'm heaven bound and nothing can take that away, then what should, I mean, shouldn't we just continue on sinning? Because the more we sin the more it shows off the grace and the love of Jesus that has forgiven us of our sin. And the Apostle Paul wrote, and the Holy Spirit inspired him to say, no, 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 certainly not. God forbid. You, you would never want to do that. You'll miss out on the greatest life. And so because they were misunderstanding their new identity in Christ, it's cool that the Apostle Paul then uses baptism as a way of trying to help them to understand this. And so he reminds them that baptism is a proclamation about Jesus. So this is what he says in Romans 6, 3 and 4 to try to help them to understand what the, this struggle they're having. He says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's kind of an odd question, right? So he says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here's what he wants this church to understand, and here's what he would want all of us to understand today. That in the moment of trusting Jesus, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, because you have a new heavenly Father. You have a new family. You're sons and daughters of the Most High God. So we baptize you in the name of the Father. We do it in the name of the Son because the Son is now your Savior. The Son is now your Redeemer, your Rescuer, and the one who has ransomed you and bought you with a price. We baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit because He comes in to indwell your life. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's not leaving. He will never abandon you. He wants to produce fruit through your life. So the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 is helping us to understand that in the moment that we were baptized, and in the moment we trusted gospel, we were bab baptized into Christ Jesus, that that was the moment we were actually proclaiming to the world, sin is paid for. I don't have to now live defeated by my past sin, and I don't have to go on sinning as, as if I'm living controlled by my desire to sin. He says, you have a whole new life. I want you to proclaim that to the world. So the picture today is this. Every individual that comes into the baptismal is going to step in. We're not going to just splash some water on their face. We're not going to cup our hands and just sprinkle a little bit on top of their head. And then we're not just going to dip them down shoulder deep. Here's why. Because Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, they didn't just halfway wrap his body and say, well, you know, he's kind of partially dead. So most of your sins are paid for. They didn't wrap his body two-thirds of the way and put part of it in the tomb and leave the other part hanging out of the tomb and say, well, you know, he's, I mean, he's mostly dead. He's pretty much dead. Just consider it done. 
They wrapped his body completely. They covered him completely, put him in the tomb. There was no back doors. The, the, the tomb was still sealed with the, with the stone to tell the world he died. If he didn't die, then he didn't rise. And if he didn't rise, then our sins aren't paid for. Each individual today, and this is the study that we did with them last week, each individual today is declaring to you and those out there in internet land, they have placed their faith in a Savior who went to death to buy, their, to buy them and to pay for their sin. And so we're going to fully submerge their whole body under the water. And when we raise them up out of the water, they're coming up out of the water to say, my hope and my faith is in a Savior who's risen from the dead, ascended back to heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's coming back for me one day. And what he's done for me, he can do for you. We have the hope of everlasting life. You don't have to question it. You don't have to doubt it. And you don't have to worry about it. It's done and it is settled. So the last thing that we want to look at this morning before we move up to the baptismal is something that happened in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And it teaches us that baptism is a celebration of Jesus, an identification with Jesus, a proclamation about Jesus, and a celebration of Jesus. Now I want you to find yourself there in, in Jerusalem. The new church has taken off. The early church has taken off. Thousands of people have trusted the gospel. And a man comes up from Ethiopia. He's a man of great authority. He oversees the treasury for Candace the queen. And he's riding in a chariot. He's been to Jerusalem. And somehow he just must have missed all the excitement that was happening. We don't know. Maybe all the excitement that was happening moved him to buy a scroll. But all we know is this. He's riding back to Ethiopia. And he's reading a scroll. And I want to ask you something. Have you ever experienced what it's like to read the scriptures and just wonder, is this really real? What's this even about? How can I know that I know that I know? How do I? And, and so he's wrestling with that. He's anxious probably. He's feeling stress. But God does something awesome because he's seeking. He's trying to understand. He's reading Isaiah 53 which happens to be about a sheep that was led to the slaughter. And a, as a lamb was silent before its shears, this was, this was him. And he's sitting there trying to figure out, what's this about? I don't, I don't get it. And so the Holy Spirit moved through Philip and told Philip to go and overtake the chariot. Tell the chariot to stop. So imagine you're there that day. And Philip pulls up to the chariot and says, hey, hey, hold, hold on, hold on just a second. I'll ask you a question. I mean, this is a man of great authority. He's probably got... 20 other people with him. And Philip looks in and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless somebody guides me? Is this not the role of the church? To walk people through the scriptures, to help them to see the beauty and the wonder of who our God is. And to make their decision based upon what the Bible says. So Philip gets to tell him, the lamb that you're reading about, yeah, that scroll was written seven or 800 years ago. He was just slaughtered and raised from the dead 50 days ago. Let me tell you about him. And so as he begins to explain to him what's happening, the man then says, look, here's water. What's hindering me from being baptized? And then Philip said this, 
if you believe with all your heart, let's go get baptized. And the Ethiopian said, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And let's, can we just pause right here and just think? Scripture never says anywhere that salvation is based upon your feelings. Unless you felt this and felt this and felt this, then, then, then it's, it's either sure or it's not sure. It's not, it's not there. Scripture never says anywhere. Unless you were afraid enough and trembling enough and shaking enough that then you got it right. It's not there. But what Scripture says over and over and over and over is the one who comes to faith in the gospel. The one who comes to an understanding that Christ died for their sins and was raised from the dead can look and say, I trust. I'm putting my faith in that man, who he is and what he did. Philip said, okay, let's go. So, hey, the, the Ethiopian said, stop the chariot. Philip and the eunuch, the Ethiopian, went down into the water and he baptized him. And here's what the Bible says happened next. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Now, the word there in Greek is the same word we have for raptured. Now, I'm Pretty convinced today that Ben Thacker and myself, while we're baptizing, I don't think we're going to get raptured out. But if it happens, you'll know at least it was biblical. And so, but it just says the eunuch saw him no more. So he, he, he got carried away. But look at those last six words, seven words. And he, the Ethiopian, went on his way rejoicing. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, we have every reason to smile today. We have every reason to clap hands, sing songs, shout, raise a hallelujah, stomp a leg, do whatever you got to do. If the angels rejoice, we can rejoice. And so we want all of you, young and old, to know that we're rejoicing today. There's a lot of people here to celebrate you, but I'm going to close and give a charge to the church and a charge to the parents. Jesus gave the commission in Matthew 28. That's for us. Jesus is simply asking us as a church to cultivate an environment where these individuals, young and old, can grow in their understanding of who God is. Wouldn't it be great? Come on, be real with me. Wouldn't it be great if in the moment of trusting Christ and getting baptized, you completely and fully understood your identity? That from that day forward, no matter what kind of name anybody called you, or no matter how bad of a day you had, you just thought, I know who I am in Christ. I'm a warrior. I'm a child of God. It's not the case, is it? Wouldn't it be great if for the rest of your life, after getting saved and baptized, you just went around boldly proclaiming all about Jesus and the goodness of Jesus and the love of Jesus, and you just never had a, an off day or a sinful day or, or a wow, I regret the decisions I made today kind of day. It don't happen, does it? And wouldn't it be great if every day after getting saved and, and, and getting baptized, you just celebrated? Just joy was coming out of your eyeballs and your ears, just how good God is and just rejoicing. Is that the case? Be real with me. It's not, is it? This is what Jesus meant in Matthew 28, that it is the role and the call of the church to cultivate an environment where we can discover and keep discovering who we are in Christ, where we can learn and grow in our boldness to proclaim and share our testimony and share the gospel 
and share our purposes in Christ with other people. And that we could grow in an understanding of what it looks like to live in the fullness of joy. Since the Holy Spirit does produce joy. We need continued study of the word and we need one another. Church, that is your charge is to create that environment. Parents, some of you are, are, are parents of your kiddos today that are getting baptized. Others are spouses. I want to give you this simple charge. As the church, we can't disciple or invest in people that aren't here. Let them see a commitment and a desire to be involved actively in the life of the church. And let me encourage you and challenge you this way. No matter how good the church is doing, no matter how much is happening, nothing can replace your shepherding role as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, as a husband, as a wife in, in the life of your, your spouse or your child. We pray that you would love and lead them well. Let's pray. Father, as we now prepare to transition, Lord, I pray that if anyone is here today that hasn't understood the gospel, that it became clear to them today that you would draw them by the power of your spirit to the altar or to talk to someone during church service or after today, that they could come to know and trust the beauty of the gospel. And now as we prepare to celebrate, we just pray that Jesus would continue to be glorified in everything. It's in his name that we pray. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.